I wonder if they get it. They've heard me talk about it over and over and over again. Every time we've gathered, I've tried to communicate what it means to be great. As we're sitting here right now, I, I don't know if they get it. In fact, they're arguing about the same thing again. What does greatness look like in my kingdom? I imagine that was what Jesus was asking himself uh, at his last meal with his disciples as they sat in a group and he was imagining the upcoming hours where he would go to the cross where ultimately his mission on earth would be fulfilled and these men in the circle would be challenged. They would be tasked with carrying the message of the gospel, exploding the church after he left. And they still didn't seem to get this key point. Jesus actually had quite a few reasons to question this. Uh, In fact, one week prior to this, right before he and his disciples prepared to enter into Jerusalem, uh, we can see in the book of Matthew that uh, James and John, who are two of Jesus' probably closest disciples, they show up throughout uh, the Gospels. They're constantly uh, mentioned and talked about in different ways. Uh, Their mother came up to Jesus with a special request. Uh, And you can imagine, for James and John, their mom had seen many of the miracles that Jesus had performed. Uh, She had likely uh, even witnessed some of those miracles herself. She had heard the teachings, she had heard stories, and she knew that her boys, that they were were likely to be at the top of the list of Jesus' favorite disciples. And so what did the mom of the sons of Zebedee do? She did what every good mom would do. She went up to Jesus and she said, Jesus, I have a request. Would you make it that when you are sitting on your throne in glory that that my boys, James and John, and you know James and John, like you love them, right? They're such good boys. Would you let them sit at your right and your left hand in glory? And if you have a mom that might do that for for you, I think I, I have a mom that might make that request for Jesus. And Jesus responds to her and says, you have no idea what you're asking about. You're standing here asking about who, uh, whether your sons are the greatest of my followers. And it, in verse 24, the gospel says, when the ten heard about this, when the other ten disciples heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. They were not indignant because uh, they were shocked by the selfishness of these guys. They were shocked because, because ultimately they wanted to be the greatest. That because if they're sitting in those seats at either side of Jesus, that means that those individuals would not be there. And James and John, you just have to assume John is probably insufferable. Like they, they know they probably have ends with Jesus. John, if you read through the book of John, constantly refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved. And I'm sure that the rest of the guys are like, ah, I don't want any part of that. You fast forward to the setting at the Last Supper. Jesus is sitting with his disciples, and they're still arguing about the same issue. In fact, in Luke 22, we can read in verse 24, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. They're still arguing about this. And Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table, or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table? 
but I am among you as the one who serves. You can imagine the setting that Jesus is sitting at the place of honor, and rightfully so. He is their rabbi. He's the Messiah. He is the, the one that the reason that they're gathered at that, at that meal. He's in, he has every right to be in that place of honor, and yet he says, I am among you as the one who serves. What does it mean to be great? I read this and I can relate a bit because I think there's a part of all of us that wants to be great. I don't know about you, but maybe you think about your work environment and how the little things that you do, you're just trying to get noticed. You're hoping that your boss sees those things so that you can get the next promotion or you can get those kudos at the next meeting or you can get that next raise. Maybe you think of friend relationships that you have, and maybe there's a relationship that you've invested and you've poured in and you've done all the work on, on one side and you don't feel like it's reciprocated. You don't, you don't feel like you're appreciated. You don't feel like you've gotten your just due. Maybe you think of a family relationship and you just know that other person is the favorite. They just seem to have an in with that person that you're looking for affection from, and so you position yourself and you, you try to say, man, if I could just be great, if I could just be the one who's sitting in the place of honor, if I could just be at the head of the table, then everything would be as it's, it's supposed to be. And if anyone deserved to be sitting in the place of honor, it was Jesus. But his closest followers, his disciples, they seem to be missing it. They don't get it. So Jesus, he looks around and he sees proud hearts. He sees dirty feet. He thinks, how can I get this idea across? And so he grabs a towel. He grabs a basin. And Jesus takes the position of a servant. He goes around and he washes 24 feet. And in the book of John, you read that and you kind of glance over. Do you know how long it would take to wash 24 nasty feet in a circle? But he begins to just wash. This is actually not that uncommon of a practice. In the Middle East during this period of time, uh, you know, you walk everywhere. It's dusty. It's dirty. You're wearing sandals. And so when you went into someone's home, the same that we would offer to take someone's coat Often you'd have your feet washed. However, what was uncommon is it was never the person of honor who washed the feet. It was the lowliest. It was a servant or a child. It was someone who, who would come along. And so Jesus, he begins to wash their feet, this shocking thing. It says he actually takes off his robes, which is this undignified thing for a rabbi to do. And in the book of John he comes to Peter, and, and Peter says, that, I mean, just the audacity of it, there is no way you're going to wash my feet, Jesus. There's no way I'm going to allow that to happen. And Jesus says, if you do not allow me to serve you, you can have no part in my kingdom. And Jesus just cements in their minds this incredibly counter idea of what it means to be great. And I read that story and I just think of Jesus. He was ultimate in power. He was the promised Messiah. He is the bread of life and the light of the world. Jesus, the Lamb of God, the righteous judge, the King of kings, the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus is our Lord. He is God himself. He is our Savior. And he gets on his knees. He had every right to be worshipped. He has every right to be honored and he knows it his disciples know it 
He gets on his knees and he says, look, I am among you as someone who serves. You know, greatness is different in the kingdom of heaven. Like what it means to be great is different in the family of God. And the first key idea that Jesus is wanting to cement in his disciples' minds is this, that we should serve because Jesus serves. It's the example that he set for himself. We've been in a series called Rhythms. And so good morning to those of you who are here at the Mount Pleasant campus. It's so good to see you. Good morning to those of you who are worshiping with us in Alma. Uh, excited to have you worshiping today. And also good morning to those of you who are gathered with us online, which is just amazing to think every single week we see more and more and more people connecting to the church um, through our, our online gatherings. And so welcome to you as well. And if you've been with us, we've been going through this rhythm series and one of the most common questions I think I get as a pastor uh, is the question of how do I know God? I don't feel like I hear from him. Like how, can I, how can I get to know him better? How can I grow as a disciple of Jesus? And uh, this rhythm series, these are rhythms that if you put into practice in your life, I can guarantee you, you will grow in your knowledge of who God is. You will grow as a follower of Jesus. And so the first week we talked about surrender. That ultimately, having a rhythm of surrendering our will to God is a great starting place when it comes to healthy rhythms in our lives. Talk about having a rhythm of prayer. So a lot of people say, well, I, I don't feel like I hear from God, and I'll ask the question, well, are you talking to God? Do you have a rhythm of prayer in your life? Uh, a rhythm of accountability, having brothers and sisters in Christ who are encouraging us, uh, but maybe more than that, challenging us, calling us out when there's sin in our lives uh, to make us look and think and act more like Christ. And then last week, Pastor Allen talked about uh, having a rhythm of belonging, that you are not meant to go through life alone. And today, we get to talk about having a rhythm of serving. And the first idea that Jesus just cements in our minds is that we are called to serve because Jesus serves. It's his example it's the way that he engages with us. He is serving on our behalf. It was one of the final defining themes that he wanted to cement in his disciples' minds before he completed his mission on earth. So if you call this your church home, uh, if, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a calling to, to serve. You should have a rhythm of serving in your life. And beyond just imitating Jesus' example, which is probably a good enough reason in and of itself, uh, we also want to look at our motivation on why we should serve. Sometimes you can hear a call for serving. You can have a, a request for volunteers for a particular ministry. You can read a, a, you know, something in the bulletin, and you can just see the desperation. You know, that we, we need people to serve in these roles, and it can elicit a, a sign of guilt or of obligation. And as someone who has recruited for teams here at the church for over a decade, actually, here at Community Church, um, I have seen more than a few people who have, uh, who have seen a request and have signed up because of uh, a fact of, like, I guess I could do this. I guess I have to, out of guilt. Uh, and bless their hearts. I don't know, that's, that's not always a bad reason to jump in and serve somewhere, but they usually do not last long because I think there is another way to look at it. And instead, I've seen people who have signed up to serve in places because they've said, you know what, I have unique gifts and abilities, I have a passion, I have a calling, uh, I have this, this thankfulness for what God has done in my life, and I get to serve in this particular capacity. And when you can find someone to serve in a particular role where their gifting meets that opportunity, 
Friends, that, that is one of the most amazing sweet spots that you can find. And our prayer for you is that you would find a place to serve in the church, outside the church, that would meet that same description. Just by way of example, uh, this last week was Valentine's Day, and the days leading up to Valentine's Day, I had a friend on Facebook who got major points with their spouse because they had sent this beautiful bouquet of roses uh, to their workplace, and it got delivered, it was on their desk, and this wife just posted a gushing about the love that she felt, and everyone was ooing and aahing, and I was like, that seems like a great idea. And so I jump online, I look up florists in Mount Pleasant, do you have any idea how much it costs to have a dozen roses delivered to someone's workplace? And so that night, I'm uh, sitting across from my wife at dinner, and I say, honey, uh, today I went online with the intention of buying you a dozen roses, but then I saw the cost, and uh, I decided against it, and, uh, and my wife is actually similarly frugal to me, and so I actually still got the points without having to actually pull the trigger. Um, but it was just kind of this, you know, kind of lame, lame response. And so uh, fast forward to the night before Valentine's Day, Saturday night, uh, and my wife's like, oh, we, we need to get goodies for to the kids for Valentine's Day. And so we get in the car together, we run to the store, we go to the Valentine's aisle. I don't know if you've ever visited a holiday aisle on the night before the holiday the shelves were bare. They were gone already. Uh, in fact, there was a, an employee there who was taking the last little bits that were left over and putting up Easter items. And so my wife and I are elbowing the other desperate uh, individuals that are trying to find the chocolates that aren't opened and the, you know, the cards that aren't ripped already. Uh, and we're just picking things out. Uh, and while we're standing there, uh, again, the amazing romantic husband that I am, I said, oh, I need to get something for Katie. Uh, and so I, she's standing right there. I reach right in front of her and I grab what I know is her favorite chocolate bar. And I, I put it in the cart. We check out together. She sees what I'm getting her. Uh, we get home. I actually put it in the pantry. I didn't even put it in a nice spot where she could find it. Um, and that was the extent of my romance for Valentine's Day, a sense of, of obligation. I guess I need to do this. Uh, but just so you don't think I'm always lame, I actually asked her this last week. I said, can you remember a time that I was a romantic? Uh, a time that I made you feel special. Uh, and without missing a beat, she remembered Valentine's Day of 2003, which wasn't the last time I was romantic before you, you questioned that. <laughs> but Valentine's Day 2003, she was a freshman at CMU. Uh, and I was still back in our hometown, and, uh, and I called her, and I said, hey, Valentine's Day morning, uh, I want you to, to make sure you, you wake up 7 a.m., turn on the radio, you're not gonna wanna miss it. Set two alarms if you have to, don't sleep through this. So she's intrigued, and her roommates are all talking about it, so her roommates are also intrigued. And so seven in the morning, she tells a story. She, she has a, a clock radio trying to get the radio station from our hometown, and she's up on her knees on the counter in the bathroom holding up the radio just so she could get the radio signal. And at 7 a.m., there's a sweepstakes, and I call in, and I make sure I'm the first caller. And, uh, and the sweepstakes was, if you called and sang the love song for you and your sweetie, they would give you a dozen beautiful roses that you could deliver on Valentine's Day. And so I called in, and I sang Hero by Enrique Iglesias. <laughs> Over the airwaves, I can be your hero, baby. And of course, her roommates are gushing about it. There's, I, I wanted the world to know 
that I love this woman from the bottom of my heart, and she loved me, and, and I didn't care whether I would be embarrassed or anything else. Now, if you were to think about those two examples of Valentine's Day, which one do you think meant more? There's no question, right? It was, it was that early one, of course, because it wasn't out of a sense of obligation that I gave. It was out of a, a sense of mutual love, a sense of, of recognition for who she is, wanting her to feel special. I think as we think about why does God want us to serve, what is our motivation, that God wants us to be so filled with our love for God that serving would be a natural expression in a response. So our second idea is that we serve because you love God. That if you love God, if you understand who he is and what he's done for you, that God loves me unconditionally And we say in response, God, I'm crazy about you. I get to do these things for the sake of the kingdom. I get to serve with kids on on Sunday mornings. I get to serve on hospitality teams. I get to serve my neighbor because of the love that God has for me. I wonder when he sees that versus maybe an opportunity where we serve out of guilt or obligation. Imagine he smiles a little bit bigger. It's not I have to, but it's I get to. One of the first verses I remember memorizing as a kid is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, what is this communicating? It's communicating that uh, if you receive Christ, that grace is given to you not by anything that you've done to deserve it. In fact, in spite of things that you've done to not deserve it, grace is available to you and that God makes us a free gift because ultimately that way none of us can puff ourselves up and say, hey, look what I did. Look, look, look at how God loves me because of what I've done on his behalf. There's nothing you have to earn, uh, you have to do to earn God's grace. And while Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is a great memory verse, verse 10 is a beautiful verse that follows. It says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the Apostle Paul here, he's laying out this sense of saying, you have nothing that you need to do to earn God's good favor. However, you were brought from death to life, from darkness to light. And as a result of that, you are made a new creation. That new creation isn't just for your own sake or for your own benefit, that God says that he actually creates you something new to do good works in the name of Christ Jesus, and that God actually had in his mind these good things that you and I can do since before the foundations of the world. What an amazing picture. You weren't created just to survive. You weren't made just to work a dead-end job that you hate and hope to retire someday. God has good works for you to do. So before we were created, God had set aside people, uh, people of God, people that he would call his, and works for us to do on this earth. And he doesn't just leave us there. In 1 Corinthians, the Bible says that you actually, when you receive Christ, have the Holy Spirit that comes and dwells inside you. And the Holy Spirit gives you spiritual gifts, gifts that uniquely qualify you to be able to complete these good works. And when you keep those gifts to yourself, you are missing out on God's best. We live in such a self-centered culture. Uh, It was true, certainly, in Jesus' day. I think it's 
easy to say. It's probably more true now. We live in a culture where everyone wants to be the goat. Do you know what that means? Everyone wants to be the greatest of all time. Super Bowl was a couple weeks ago. We don't watch a lot of sports in our house, but we do watch the Super Bowl every single year. Uh, So we're watching it, and Tom Brady, love him or hate him, won his seventh Super Bowl ring, uh, which is an amazing feat. If if there was an argument on who is the greatest of all time, uh, Tom Brady would likely be on that list when it comes to football. Uh, My wife, just to show how, how much this is an indisputable fact, my wife only watches the Super Bowl because I want to watch the Super Bowl, and so she's even less invested. And every year over the last decade or so, when Tom Brady's in the Super Bowl, she's like, come on, isn't there anybody else? Like, give somebody else a chance to, to win a Super Bowl. Uh, but he's arguably the greatest at what he does. I think there's a piece of all of us that want to be the greatest. Like, we all want to be the GOATs. Like, we, we all want to have places where we're recognized for what we do. You know, if, if I'm honest, if left to myself, if left to my flesh, I want to be self-promoting. Uh, you know, I do something, I want to make sure people notice. I, I, I want people to love me. I'm, I'm self-oriented at my core. But if you want to follow Jesus, Jesus' teaching is diametrically opposed to that culture. Jesus here, he's teaching the opposite of a self-centered culture. And Jesus says, if you want to be great, you don't self-promote. You don't try to make yourself look better. You don't try to elevate yourself. If you want to be great, the greatest among you will be a servant. So if you call yourself a Christian, there's a call for us to, uh, to think less of ourselves, to deny ourselves. And if you're taking notes, here's a key idea. Serving isn't just something that we do. Serving is a natural response of someone who is brought from death to life by Jesus. A servant is who we are at our core. When you are made a new creation in Christ, you are no longer self-focused. You are now a servant. And we serve because you are called to be a servant. In fact, that verse in Ephesians we just read, you were created to serve. That's why you were made. That's your purpose. In Matthew 25, Jesus is speaking of a parable, but he's speaking of what's going to come at the end of time. Uh, and he tells a story of uh, at the end of time, he's going to gather every man and woman who has ever lived in front of him. He says he's going to, like a shepherd, he's going to separate them into two groups. In one side, he's going to put the sheep. And on the other side, he's going to put the goats. Those who think they're the greatest. And to the goats, he's going to say, away from me, I never knew you. To the sheep, he's going to say, come come with me to this place that I prepared for you since before the creation of the world. And he says in verse 35, for when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. You can imagine the sheep in this setting saying, Man, Jesus, we're so excited to get into heaven. We're so excited to spend time in eternity with you. But if we're honest, when did we do any of, I don't remember doing any of those things for you. 
I just have to imagine Jesus would look back at them and he'd say, you know that time that you saw that family that was struggling and you didn't seek out attention or, or you know, acclaim for yourself and you just met that need. You did that for me. Or maybe when you saw that situation of that individual who had been marginalized by society, had been kind of forgotten and left to the wayside, and you went and visited them, and you treated them with dignity, and you, you saw past their vulnerability, that when you did that, you did that for me. And he says, for whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Friends, I, I never want to miss an opportunity to serve Jesus. And when we serve others, the Bible says that we are, we are ultimately serving Jesus Christ. So how do you become great? You become great by becoming less about you, and as you become less about you, you become more about him. And as you become more about him, you can't help but have a heart that becomes more about other people because God loves everybody. It's the way that we're wired. It's the way that we're meant to do it. You may say, but, you know, I don't feel like I'm great at a lot of things, right? Like, maybe if I had his gifting, like, maybe then I could do something that was a big impact. Or, or maybe if I was wired like she is, like, then I could jump in and I could really do something amazing. But I don't think that's a good way of thinking about it because, again, you are uniquely gifted. And those spiritual gifts that God gives us, that they're actually you are not meant to have the same gifts as your brother or sister and that God actually made the body of Christ that way so that we could all be brought together for the common good. And if you are faithful with little things, God says that he will trust you with more. And preaching a message like this, you know, just in this church, I, I feel a bit like I'm preaching to the choir because I could tell you story after story after story of servants in this church who embody this. If I were just to share a few stories of servants, we have a team of deacons here at the church, and these aren't staff members. They aren't paid or compensated. They are volunteers. They are ordained leaders. And anyone in the community, whether they're in the church or outside the church, doesn't matter what kind of background they're from, they can call a helpline and get connected to one of these deacons who don't just write them a check and then say, hey, we're done with you. They wrap their arms around them. They say, how can we pray for you? They hear their stories. They connect them with resources. They point them towards Jesus. And then they also meet needs. What amazing servant hearts we have on that team. Uh, at our Alma campus, we happen to be a portable church. And so every single week, everything comes out of boxes. And it's actually this amazing hour on Sunday mornings where the stage is set up and lights are put out and every, uh, the chairs are set in place and there's pipe and drape that goes up. And uh, many volunteers on that team are awake probably before many of us are even out of bed. And one particular family that's on that team is the Lombards. Uh, and it's mom and dad, son and daughter. The daughter even brings her boyfriend to come and help on that team every single week, no matter what. Uh, what amazing servant hearts. I think of servants, and I think of a guy who serves regularly on our video team, Rob. And Rob is kind of like the postal service, because it doesn't matter if it's rain or sleet or hail or snow. Uh, even if he doesn't have a vehicle, he will walk if he doesn't have a ride to get here in the morning and serve on our video team. I think of servants like Wendy, who at our Alma campus, uh, she doesn't just show up on Sunday mornings to serve kids. 
During the week, she's preparing extra uh, handouts and extra things to put on the walls and decorations that are going to cement the truths of Jesus for our kids. Uh, she's praying for the children. She's writing notes to them throughout the week and saying, whatever I can do to introduce these kids to the love of Christ, it's worth it because, I, because I'm able and I'm gifted. I think of servants and I think of a woman named Judy who's been coming to this church for many, many years. And you would think she was on staff if you didn't know better because she sits outside the offices over here on the other side of the building and she says, anything that you need done, anything that I can do, whether it's stuffing envelopes, preparing crafts, anything that's busy work that other people don't want to do, I can do it and I am so happy to do it because of what Jesus has done in my life. You know, even today we have here at the Mount Pleasant campus the Unite Takeover. And our college students and young adults here in the church aren't waiting to see if maybe they're going to permanently land in Mount Pleasant before they fully invest in a church. They are understanding that they are the church now. uh, And they're jumping in feet first to say, wherever I can use my gifts to serve the body of Christ, that's what I'm going to do because that is the way and the reason that I was created. Just a final example. I think of a woman in this church named Mona Lee who for years has been part of a group of women that don't just pray for the church, they intercede. Anytime you filled out a prayer request over the last number of years, it has gone to that team and they have interceded on your behalf before Jesus. And I think of the blessings and the, the, just the momentum and the ways that God continues to pour out uh, his goodness on this particular church. I think that's a testament to the prayers Women like Mona Lee. And I could go on and on and on and on about stories like this of people in this church where they understand that serving isn't just something that they do. A servant is who they are. So if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, serving isn't just something that you do. A servant is who you are. So here's my call to action for you today as we're thinking about this rhythm. Do you have a rhythm of serving? Do you have a regular place where you are uh, serving, whether it's in the church or outside the church? In fact, sometimes uh, you can think that, you know, we're only talking about Sunday mornings. And Sunday mornings are incredibly important because every Sunday, uh, both here in Mount Pleasant, in Alma, online, thousands of people are connected, some, many for the very first time, to the message of the gospel that Jesus loves them. If there's a place to use your gifts, the church is a fantastic place to use your gifts. And if you have not taken the step to serve someplace in the church, uh, we have opportunities for you to, to say, hey, uh, I can try to find a place. Now, sometimes you may say, I know exactly how I'm wired. I know exactly how God gifted me, and I'm going to serve in that place. But not every one of us could say the same thing. Maybe you're in a place where you're saying, you know, I don't really know what my gifts are. Uh, I encourage you to visit the info center. If you're online, you can click the link that's in the, the chat. Uh, And would you take a step to say, hey, God, I want to wrestle with what you're calling me to do to serve as a response to what you're calling me to be. But this call isn't just for Sunday mornings. In fact, I think that there's probably a greater mission field outside these church doors. Serving isn't just something we do for an hour on Sundays. Uh, And we are called to be light in the darkness, to, to bring the presence of God to every circumstance, situation that we're in. And maybe your calling right now is to serve your family. Maybe your calling right now is to serve a neighbor. Maybe your calling right now is to reach out and to, to do something that, that blesses the community in your workplace or, or in your neighborhood, because that is what calling, God is calling you to do. So as a way of challenge from just one of the pastors of this church, 
if you do not have a place where you are using your gifts to serve, would you wrestle with God and ask God, what are you calling me to do? Where are you moving me? Where do you make my heart beat? How, how have you uniquely gifted me to step into an opportunity that's around me? And this week, I'm actually really excited. As a church, which is another way that we're putting our money where our mouth is, we've been in a two-year season called Advance. And one of the pieces of Advance that we've been waiting to launch is actually launching today. And so last week we talked about belonging and a way that we do church here at Community Church is by being in groups. And if you're not in a group already, uh, get into a group at the earliest opportunity because in groups, uh, our group leaders are amazing. They don't just see their group as a Bible study. Although, studying the Bible is a regular thing that you do uh, in our community groups. They don't just see their, their uh, community groups as a social club. Uh, even though you're going to find relationships and connection and, and a level of uh, friendship that we hope that is unparalleled in your community groups. Uh, our community groups are so much more. They are missional, kingdom-minded communities where we are pushing each other to be more like Jesus. And so to help our groups be more missional, uh, we are uh, launching right now scholarships that can help groups uh, have an impact in the communities that they serve in. And so just a, a quick story, we had a community group uh, here in our church that actually did a tester for the scholarship program. This is the Hosbecks community group. It's a fantastic community group here in the church. I mean, look at that group of smiling faces. Uh, and what they said is this last Christmas season, they approached Shane Lee, our director uh, of groups ministry, and said, hey, how can we, uh, you know, get this started? And so they said, we want to bless a family that's in financial need, but we don't want to just buy them presents. No, no, we want to we get them gas cards. We want to fill their pantry with groceries. And so they all pooled a bit of money as they were able. They also partnered with the church, and we were able to give a scholarship towards that effort. Um, and they just blessed the socks off this family for Christmas. What an incredible gospel expression around celebration of the birth of Christ. And they gave us this quote. They said, if we are absolutely thrilled to have funds available to our community group to help us be more missional, Knowing that the church is able to partner with us in the financial burden that can sometimes come with being missional is a huge blessing. This scholarship program has opened our group's eyes to new possibilities that we previously didn't think were possible due to the financial implications of serving others. And so we are just so excited to see how this program will help our groups and our church bless many in our, in our community. And so if you are in a community group, and actually many people, a good percentage of our church are, starting today, these scholarships are available. And the beauty of it is that many needs that are represented in this community won't actually come across the desk of one of our pastors. Uh, many needs that are represented in our community won't call the, the helpline or won't reach out. And so men and women, the body of Christ, we are able to actually hear and respond to the needs that we're aware of through our group's ministries here at the church. And even if you aren't a part of a group, when you give to support the ministry of the church through advance, you are giving to help support kingdom work directly through the people of God. Now, isn't that exciting? I, mean, I, can't, I can't wait to hear stories that are gonna come out of that in ways that that's gonna, gonna bless people. And so church, as we get ready to close, what do you want to be known for? I mean, don't you want to be known as a community that serves extravagantly? 
Right? Don't you want to be part of a community that, that expresses generosity in a way that's just uncommon? And at the end of your life, don't you want to stand before Jesus? Thinking of that story from Matthew 25, he would say, thank you for what you did for me because what you did for the least of these, you did for me. And in that story, it goes on, it says, and then he'll say this phrase, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray together. God, I am grateful for the fact that you are constantly showing us ways that we can surrender, we can die to self, and God, that we can have an eyes that, that see the way that you see the world. So Father, I pray that you would give us a rhythm of serving, God, that you would open our hearts um, to ways that you are calling us to step out of our comfort zones and engage other people. And God, I pray that we would share many, many, many more stories in the futures of ways that individuals and groups in our church have been a tangible expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ here in Central Michigan and beyond. So Father, we just continue to declare that we are yours. Thank you. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today.